0: God, amen. You know, it is a, uh, it's a universal problem. We, we are, pornography is a, a, it's like a cancerous infection that has wounding, hurting, and killing the lives of many. There are a lot of uh, marriages and relationships that are destroyed, even unknowingly because of some of these addictive issues and how addictive it is. And it's important to learn and understand why and what can we do. But it'll never happen until you come out of the shadows, until you begin to realize that, you know what, this is not something, I I need to get over my pride and say, yes, Lord, I need to be free. You gotta wanna be free more than you don't wanna be found out. And so there's a point where we need to say yes, yes. And uh, we have, like, we'll be offering, there'll be some opportunities for some of these weekends, as Ray has talked about, for Mark, Men for Christ. And uh, also, we will have some Conquer series, um, men's get-togethers, some women get-togethers as far as that goes as well. Um, and you'll be seeing more of those things coming. You'll watch the app and you'll begin to see those things pop up and get in there and register. Be a part of that look, if all you're interested in doing is just keeping it all in the shadows and keeping it all hidden, then you will just continue to hurt yourself and to hurt those around you because you're more selfish than you care about the people around you. Yeah. And, and that really is the nature of the, of the disease. So please do that. I'm going to continue in um, uh, this series that kind of God has laid in my heart to give, share with you about our worldviews and what is our worldview. And, and we've been talking about that. We talked about, you know, just again, what are worldviews and why is it such an issue? We talked last week about what happens when worldviews collide, what happens when there's this clash of worldviews. And, uh, and today I, I want to talk about building a worldview. How do we do that? What is, is there something that we have to do in that? And I, let me read an excerpt from you, and I, I, I'll put it up here, on, uh, out of the book Culturally Incorrect. It said that, the author said, that one of the main reasons the evangelical church is faring so poorly in the current clash of cultures is that so few followers of Christ actually have a fully biblical worldview. Okay, many of us have, have given in. We have decided that a Christian worldview is okay, and then we've added together all sorts of things to make a Christian worldview something that's different than a, a biblical worldview. Shouldn't be, but that's what's happened. And this is what, what part of this description here will describe some of that. The majority of believers today carry around a hodgepodge of biblical and non-biblical assumptions, assumptions that we make that we never factually check out. We, we just make assumptions and then we let assumptions become our truth. And when things are assumed and they become our truth, I mean, you all know what happens when you assume, right? <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> There's, a, there's a, a place where we take these assumptions and we let these assumptions become our truth and all of a sudden we're building things on assumptions that have no facts or no basis. And we build our, as, as fact and basis on things that have no fact and basis. So we have this hodgepodge of biblical and non-biblical assumptions. We've retained a core of biblical presuppositions while uncritically picking up others from the dominant anti-biblical culture. And it is a a, a very apt description of what we see in the church today. Certainly is an apt description of what I see in the church today. Other churches, not this church. (laughs) Look, in this technological age in which we live in we are being bombarded not just a simple attack we are being bombarded with information we are being bombarded by by ideological thoughts and and principles that are being poured in. We are we are being bombarded by cultural relevance. We are being bombarded every day with things and it doesn't matter where you turn. You know, you can you, I'm getting bombarded over here and so we turn and hit, boom, we're being bombarded over here and the shells are going off all around us and and we're being inundated with all sorts of information and not all of it is factual, but it's coming at us boom 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 and we really don't, I mean, we don't sometimes have time even to decipher all of it it's coming at us that way but church well i'll say that in a minute we can compare our minds to a computer you know a computer a computer the output of a computer is only as good as the input that was put into it and so there's this computer jargon some of you know this way better than i do called gigo g-i-g-o Garbage in, garbage out. You put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. Amen. Look, what are you putting in your mind? You know, we, we, get so, uh, it, we get in such an uproar today because our culture has become so violent. Or we get all upset because our culture has become so perverse. Or, or, or because we've become, as a culture, so perverted. Yet, look at what we're putting in our minds. Look at what's being pumped into our homes, into our our children. I mean, we're we're seeing violence everywhere we turn. Violence has become a way of entertainment. Yet, we wonder why is everything so violent today. Perversions are everywhere today. We, we've, got, we've got pornography pouring into our homes and then we wonder why is the culture becoming so perverted? Why are sexual issues becoming so much more prevalent? Because again, garbage in, garbage out. There's a true story. The sheriff's deputies were investigating a theft of an SUV in central Florida, and they were surprised to discover that the suspect had a lot more experience than they thought. Deputies found the stolen Dodge Durango parked in the driveway of a home, and when they went inside to arrest the suspect, the suspect, the, they found the thief sitting on his couch playing a popular video game, Grand Theft Auto. Arguably, this is one of the most violent, first-person shooter games there is out there. You know what? If you're letting your kids play Grand Theft Auto, shame on you. If you're playing Grand Theft Auto, (laughs) shame on you. It's garbage. And it's garbage in, and you're gonna get garbage out. They, the authorities arrested this guy. He was a 30-year-old man, Michael X. They charged him with grand theft auto, burglary, and drug possession. And when they arrested him, they checked the records and they found that he had just gotten out of jail on bond on another charge of auto theft. In church, we don't think that, you know, we're ever gonna get to those places, but we do what we think about. Yes, we do. So what are you thinking about? What's consuming your thoughts? What's in your mind? You know, we only we only respond and do what's been programmed inside of us, and and we all like to say, well, you know, yeah, I've got a biblical worldview. Of course, I have a biblical worldview, but do you? It's not necessarily what we have conjured in our minds to create as a you know something we want to believe, because we all want to believe we have that, but the truth is, do we? Because church, it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen just, wow, it's all done. We have to develop this worldview. And and if we don't develop a biblical worldview, listen, we talked about this and we showed you, we went through this, why this, this worldview, whatever your worldview is, whether it be good, bad, or whether you think it's indifferent, the worldview will affect how you view the world, how you view other people, how you treat other people. Your worldview. Look, your worldview. If, if you think that people are ugly and mean spirited, and you've got this you know thing that you should respond in that way, well, you're gonna. Re- I don't care who you are, you're gonna respond in an ugly, mean spirited way. What are you putting in your mind? What are you allowing to come and come in and and and? and fill you up because whatever that is, that's how you're going to react. That's what you're going to do. That's what's going to come up and out of your mouth. So for most of us, and let me just tape for all of us, and yes, I am absolutely 100% wholeheartedly included in this. We need a basic and continual reprogramming of our minds. And, and Paul said this in Second Corinthians chapter ten, in verse five. He said, "We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God." Are you doing that? Are we doing that? And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive and. Make it obey Christ. How are you doing with that? (laughs) Oh, It's hard, huh? It's hard to do. I mean, it's really, it's great. But part of the problem is that it's not necessarily that it's hard to do. We just don't know how to do it. And that's what part of this whole thing is trying to teach us today. How do we do that? Because I know, man, it is way easier said than done. The moment I let my guard down, you know what? I stop taking those thoughts captive. Then I start having bad thoughts about all of you. (laughs) Just kidding, just my wife. Oh yeah, like you don't have them towards me. take your thoughts captive right now. (laughs) So how do you develop a biblical worldview? How do you do it? And that's what I I feel like it's important that we need to share. Now, whether you do that or not, or whether you do what we talk about or not, that's going to be up to you. But I'm going to give you the information. How do we develop a biblical worldview? We're going to look at Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. So you can Flip through your Bible to get to those places. But, you know, if we are developing a biblical, a biblical mindset or a, a biblical worldview, then we have to do things differently, okay? We can't go through and continue to just do life the same way we've always done it if we really want to have a biblical worldview rather than a worldly worldview, and therefore, it doesn't happen by accident. Please, it doesn't happen. God's not a genie that's going to come down and poof, all of a sudden, you, you, the way you think about things is diff- completely different. Okay? It's a part in the thought process. It has to be done intentionally. We intentionally do that. God does a work in us, and we'll talk about this in our heart, which gives us the want to and the will to, but we have to do it. Amen. But for most of us, before I get into some of that, for most of us, you know, living the Christian life, I mean, anybody can be trained to do that. Knowing Christianese, knowing that, you know, we live in a time where most of us, you know, we understand and know Christian values and it's not that hard to, you know, keep those Christian values because we live in this conservative area. You know, it's, it's so much easier living in this conservative, look, I, I came from Lake Havasu. Lake Havasu was not a conservative area. When I got here, I had to get used to not having girls walking around Walmart in thong bikinis. Because that's what they did. I mean, they, again, they, they, a lot of pajamas here, but not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not even close. But most of us, we live in this conservative area, we're surrounded with Christian friends or or at least people that would support our Christian values. And and I read this and I want to share this with you. Fred Smith, author, wrote this. He said, and and I want you to just pay attention. It's easy to be pro-life and to condemn the pro-abortion crowd if all that means is voting a certain way on election day every two years or so. It's easy to avoid drinking when our friends do not drink. And the only option we have at a party is soda and iced tea. Now again, he says, there's nothing wrong with that. Please let me also say, there's nothing wrong with that. I encourage that. Yes, amen. I, I, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with that. But listen to what it goes on to say. Although there's nothing wrong as far as that goes, beware. However, that when one's friends are all just non-drinkers and anti-abortion and pro-traditional marriage, it is no great struggle to live the same way. And here is the part that I want you to really hear. We easily slip into being content with mere respectability rather than living radically for Christ. So are you living respectably, respectively for Christ or are you living radically for him? Because listen to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the greatest sermon of all time. Right out of there, Jesus says this in Matthew 5.20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Do you know who the scribes and Pharisees were in that day? They were the respectable crowd. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So... If you look through this whole Sermon on the Mount, you'll see Jesus teaching over and over through the whole thing. You know what? What's in your heart? What's in your heart? What's in your life? What's in your motivation? What's in your actions? What's in your thinking? Because church, it all gets down to the heart. It all matters what's in your heart. So again, it's not... It's not difficult to find out if we really want to know. Yes. But what is in your heart? So Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul, just real quickly, and I'm not going to go. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. So in this day and age, in, in, especially in the American church, we can be respectable and we can be good people. We can be good citizens. You know, we, we, we can be good church members. We, we can be good Christians. We, we can be better than most Christians and still be conformed to the patterns of this world. Yeah. We can still be conformed to this world. And Jesus says that if we, he calls us to a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the respectable crowd in our time a righteousness that's greater than those who are just doing church. Just coming to church so that we can punch our spiritual time card so that we have something to show God one day. God's looking for us to live radically. To radically be living for Him. Not just hoping that we can look respectable before everybody else. Hey, if I can just be a little listen, if I can just be a little bit better than some of you, I'm okay. Yeah, We've got to be living radically. Well, how's that done? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Romans 12 1. Therefore, when everybody say, therefore. therefore. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, brothers and sisters. Church, Christian, he's talking to the church. I, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So Paul, in here, he's just got done In chapter 11, again, there wasn't chapters and verses at that point, but you'll see if you go to chapter 11, the end of it, he's talking about the mercies of God. He talks about how the mercies of God are for us, how the mercies of God have been provided for you and for me. And he goes through this, and he gets to the end of where he's talking about the mercies of God, and then he adds this therefore. And I've told you this before, wherever there's a therefore, stop and see what it's there for. Okay, I mean, that's just the truth. Always stop and look. What is this there for? Because normally what happens is when there's a therefore, he has just given us in that place, he's given us this conclusion. And the conclusion is about the mercies of God. And therefore, now he's going to give us the application. If If this is true, now here, this is what I'm asking and wanting you to apply. This God's saying, this is what I've done. Therefore, this is what I want you to do. So this is what it's there for. And he says, therefore, we are called to offer ourselves as a holy living sacrifice. We're the sacrifice. In other places in scripture, God calls us as priests. And and we believe in that. We we believe as Richard, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. That you come to Christ and he calls us into this priesthood. Look at what Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He says, you yourselves, you yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a what? To be, come on, to be a? Holy a holy priesthood. So as, as a holy priesthood, what's he wanting us to do? to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Look, it does not say to offer sacrifices that I choose and I'm willing to give up. He doesn't say to offer sacrifices that I find okay to give. He says sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He says in 2nd Peter, or in 1 Peter 2:9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. He's talking to the redeemed. And if you have been redeemed, if you have come out of the darkness and into the light, if you've been set free from the darkness of sin and come into the light of forgiveness, if you have come out of the darkness of hellbound and you have opened your eyes to the light of glory that God has given for those who call upon His name, then you are here called into this. You are the one that he's talking to. You are priests. And what does a priest do? A priest offers sacrifices. And church, that sacrifice is us. Ouch. Ouch. Come on! How many have found ourselves squirming off the altar? I mean, I like to be around the altar, but not on it. That, that's rough. But he says this. He, he says in Romans 12.1, to present and listen. He does not want bits and pieces of the sacrifice. He doesn't, listen, he doesn't want just a Sunday sacrifice. He wants a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday sacrifice. He's not looking for bits and pieces of you. He needs all of you. He's not accepting bits and pieces. God's in the all of you business. He gave all of him so that he could have all of you. And he wants to have all of you. So he says to present your bodies as living, a living and holy sacrifice. Well, your body represents the totality of who you are, the totality of one's life. It's your intellect. It's your your spiritual life. It's your emotions. And and again, your body is the vehicle, vehicle of expression for all of that. He wants all of you. In fact, he's requiring all of you. Church as priests, we're not just to make a sacrifice. We're to be the sacrifice. You are the sacrifice. You are the Isaac. And he's calling us to lay that down. And so he calls us priests. He calls us the sacrifice. Was a priest and a sacrifice unto almighty God, that means that our lives should be different than the world. How can it be the same? How, I mean, and again, I think next week I'm gonna talk about that statement or the scripture that it says that we are in the world, but not of the world. Another confusing scripture. And I wanna to try to straighten some of that out. And hopefully, you know, we'll get there. Pray for me that we can bring that across clearly. Yes, amen. But we are in this world. We're not to be of this world. No. Romans 12:2. he goes on and he says, do not, come on, say it, do not. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern, or another version says prove, what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. So again, this is the big problem. How do we get rid of these secular, worldly worldviews? How do we get rid of these non-spiritual worldviews that have been imparted into us just over time? And part of it, church, listen, as far as the world goes, you, me, we are called to be non-conformists. We are called to be nonconformists in this world, which means I'm going to leave the sinful patterns of this world. I am not going to submit myself to the patterns of this world. I am not going to submit myself to the thoughts of this world. I'm not going to submit myself to what the culture is trying to indoctrinate me with. I am not going to be conformed to the patterns of this world. I will be conformed to the patterns of another world, another world in which God has called me heavenly. I am a citizen of heaven. I'm not a citizen of this world any longer, and I'm not going to be conformed to the way of this world because I live by the power of a new king and so we're not to be conformed which means this that we in our lives we have to learn to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates but what's so sad is that many of us we hate the things that God loves and we love the things that God hates I mean, think about the people in your life. How many do you have hatred for? Divisions towards? Divisiveness? Anger? Those, those are people that Jesus died for.
1: Yes. Oh, Lord. Forgive us, Lord.
0: We're called to be non But we gotta begin that by, getting, by calling sin, sin, because the world is trying to conform the whole word sin out of our vocabulary. Right. Yes. yes, I said it. Sin, 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 sin. Go tell everybody. Pastor Mark used the S word in church. Amen. We got to call sin, sin. But we don't like to do that. We, we get like... We get all tied up in knots, and we get squeamish. Even in the church, we get squeamish about that. We like to—they're yeah, not going to like that. I, and so we, you know, we, we we do things like, well, they, you know, we instead of saying, "So we," well, they fell from grace. Yeah. Aww. Aww. Well, they made a mistake. God, and they, you know, they just they just got in a little trouble. Rather than saying. You know what? They sinned. And right now they're walking in full-blown rebellion against God. Well, that didn't get as good an amen as the statement before that. It's sin. I mean, sin is sin. But we don't like that. Even, even as, as we describe the issues and problems that people face, we don't want to include God in some of those things. We don't want to you know, include God in the, the way we help people or try to bring to people the understanding of what's going on in the world today. We don't leave God out of some of these conversations about describing the troubles that people face today. Let me just say this. You know I guarantee you that every single one of you in one way shape or form are facing some troubles or trials in your life every one of you let me also say the root of the trouble that you're facing is sin yes, it is. it's sin it's either sin around you sin in you sin that's been uh, that, that's happened in the sinful world it's all sin's the problem listen the problem with the world today is sin that's right. it's sin but the enemy has tried to downplay so much of this that we don't even want to talk about sin because it's become so offensive. Well, We don't want to push people away. So what? We won't tell them the truth. Nobody, Everybody says, oh, I'm so glad we have a church that doesn't water down the word. Yet we go out into the world and we're willing to water it down every day. Sin is sin, and sin is the problem, and we need to apply that to ourselves. We need to. Because, church, if Satan is the God of this world, and he is, and if Satan is the, the one who, who the, if this world lies in his power, and, and it does. Then as believers, we need to resist the pressure to conform, whether it's morally, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, in every way, but it comes down to behavioral because what we put in is what we're going to get out. We've got to not conform to Satan's schemes in this life. Look church, we are called in this world. Jesus calls us ambassadors. We're called to be an ambassador. When when an ambassador is sent to another nation, and it was understood then just the same way it is now. When an ambassador was sent to another nation, they didn't take over rulership of that nation, nor did the king from the world that they came from become the king of the nation they went to. They went as ambassadors, which meant that they still there was still the laws of the land, there was still the leadership that was in place. It's just that they're not my leadership. They're not the one that I answer to ultimately because i answer to my king and my king alone is the one that i give answer to but i live in that world but i'm not of it because i'm of another place i'm of another land i'm of another kingdom but as ambassadors we still have to live in this world it's part of the process And let me tell you, I tell you that because so when, as an ambassador, you begin to speak out what it is that your king said, the king of the world in which you live is going to get upset. The prince of this world is going to get all twisted up. And the people that are following him are not going to like what you say. And so when you stand up and say about some of the issues that we face today and you stand up and you begin to say what your king says about some of the issues, then people around you are going to, they're going to be, they're going to get really upset with you. They're going to call you names. Yeah, they will. They're going to call you homophobic. They're going to call you Transphobic. They're going to call you all kinds of things. When you stand up and you begin to declare what God says about the things that the world says are right or the, the world says is normal, that you're going to find that people are going to call you whatever something phobic. When church, honestly, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we should have one phobia, and that's xenophobia. There should be something in us that says, I do not want sin in my life. I don't want to have sin moving in my life. I am saying, No to sin. That was sin in my life because God told me that, and I'm turning from that. And I'm going to run as far away as I can. I'm going to get as far away from those things that used to tempt me. I'm going to get as far away from those things that I used to do. I have sinophobia, and so I am so afraid. I'm not going to even get near it because I'm afraid it's going to suck me in, and I'm not getting close to it. And I'm going to run. And when it's creeping up my door, it's going to try to come in. but I'm I'm going to bring it into the light each and every day and I'm going to repent and turn from that because God's given me a power and authority over it and I'm going to take that power and authority over it and I'm going to do what he says to do and that is to repent, to turn from and I'm going to run from those things because I have a bad case of sinophobia. So, So what is sin? Sin is, and God's given us in his words, Sin is what offends God. If what you're doing offends God, it's sin. God's word tells us what God wants us to do. God tells us what God doesn't want us to do. And when we do the things that God says don't do, or we don't do the things that God says to do, church, it's sin. And we're, not, we're called to be Nonconformists. That's what we're called to do. Well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked that again. <laughs> Romans 12, Paul said this Be transformed. It's what Ray stood up and just described to us. Be transformed. The word that's used for that is the word, Greek word is metamorpho. Metamorpho is where we get the English word metamorphos, which means to be transformed from the inside out. But it's a transformation that's so complete on the inside that it begins to change and affect everything on the outside. Jesus taught us, you need a new heart. You need a new heart. Why? Because the old one, the sinful heart that you have, is sinful and wicked. No, no got a nice heart (laughs) listen to what the bible tells us Again, we think that but listen to what the bible tells us in jeremiah chapter 17 verses 9 and 10 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick so when people tell you oh just follow your heart Run! <laughs> why, why? And people do that. People go, oh, I just need to follow my heart in this. Well, you know, again, I, I understand that in a regenerated heart. But for many men, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Why, why would you want to tell somebody, or why would you want somebody to tell you, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and desperately sick. Do you want to follow someone like that? Don't. Who can understand it? And then he says, I, the Lord... Search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So I search the heart, I test the mind. And I give every man according to the fruit of his deeds. Look, only God can change the heart. You know that we can't, there's nothing we can do. God changes the heart. But church, we are called to reprogram our mind. It's not a genie thing. God's not just gonna whoosh. It's intentional on our part. And it must be done intentionally. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Put it off. He doesn't say, God says, I'm going to put off. He says, you put it off. You take off those old garments, and you put on the new. You take off those old thoughts, and you put on the new ones. Put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through what? Through deceitful desires. Through the way in which your heart used to think, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Amen. And to do that, you gotta be continually reprogramming your mind. Look, do you control what goes into your mind? Yes. yes. Do you?
1: Yes. Help us, Lord.
0: I just I, I I think, you know, again, we have a lot of people that get all upset about people setting up a Christmas tree for a month in their corner of their their living room. And people do that. People get upset about that. Which, if you want to, that's fine. But we take those Christmas trees down at the end of December. And each and every one of us have this device that's right there, 12 months a year. And, and it's right there in our living room. The most wicked, indoctrinating thing we have. And, and just in case we might miss something, we, we put them in our bedrooms. And, 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 well, we put them in our kitchen because we don't want to miss something. But, even, you know, we put them in our bathroom because it might be a really good game. Yeah. <laughs> in church, We've got this mind-altering device that sits in our room, pouring in whatever it wants to pour in, telling us whatever it wants to tell us, indoctrinating us with whatever it wants to indoctrinate us with. And it's called the television. Our old friend. Look, so again, I say, do we control what goes into our minds from the world? Do we? Same thing can be said with our phone. Our our, our iPad? I mean, our our phones control us. Come on. You know what? We can't even go to the bathroom anymore without having our phone. How many of you this morning didn't take your phone into the bathroom, and so rather than going to the bathroom, you went and got your phone so you could go to the bathroom? (laughs) (laughs) Can't miss anything. So, you know, we have to control that. We are called to renew our minds. We need to see this place in our hearts renewed by what we take in. We need to renew our minds. Why? So that we can see our eyes fully and completely open to who Jesus is, to see God the way God sees them. That's the whole point of that is that we would see things the way God sees them. Renewing our minds. How? By immersing ourselves unto the Word of God. By pouring the Word of God in on a daily basis. By leading, by being led by the Holy Spirit into a place of continual prayer. Always in this place where we are submitting ourselves and subjecting ourselves to God and to what His Word says and renewing our minds in that way. And this isn't anything that's new. God did this all through history. He called Joshua to immerse himself in that when, when Moses died and Joshua was taken over the people uh, of Israel leadership he said this in Joshua 1 God told him he said the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success isn't that sound weird don't let it come don't hey don't let it depart from your mouth he's saying keep it in you so keep it in you so deeply and for such a period of time as you meditate on the word of god that it begins to change what you do don't just let it be w- Words that come from your mouth. Get into the word of God until the word of God begins to transform what you do. How we are transformed and changed because he's telling us that that is the way that you will be prosperous. And yes, God does want you to prosper. And you will have good success. Look, we need to renew our minds. We need to be transformed from the worldly mindset that's been poured in so that we can know and prove the will of God. I have people ask me all the time, I just don't know, what is the will of God for me? I don't know what the will of God is. And some of you have heard me say this and I've said this to you about that. Look, I don't know what it is specifically either, but are you doing the will of God right now that you do know? What is, I, don't, I don't know, what does that mean? I can tell you what the will of God for you is in some areas. I, look, if you don't know what the will of God is for your life, let me just tell you, I just shared with you a verse telling you exactly what the word of God is for you. The, word, the will of God for you today and every single day is that you would be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There you go, God's will for you. God's will for you is that you would know That word I used that last week, I told you the word in the Greek is ganosk. Gnost, I that you would know. Gnosk means to know by experience, to know in a personal way, to know in an increasing measure, to know His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the will of God for you, to know, Gnosk, who Jesus Christ really is. Because listen, when you begin to know who, who, who Jesus is, you will begin to know in increasing measure by experience what is the way, what is the truth, and what is the life. You'll begin to know in an increasing way Way. And in your life, when you begin to know in an increasing way, what is the way? What is the truth? What is the life? You will begin to know what the will of God is for you. You will begin to know what God is directing you to. you begin to know that. You will know that what is good and perfect and acceptable. Yes, amen. People say, I've been doing that though. I've been reading the word and I've I've been living a holy life. I've been living my best. I've been doing what I can to live righteously before God. And again, my answer is well, have you arrived? Are you finished? What have you retired from that then? Church, we have to actively, continually, never ceasing, continue to strive, pursue, and purify our biblical worldview. There's a lot of non-biblical in us. And we need to purify those views. Paul, one of the most righteous Christians, I mean, he wrote most of the, a large portion of the New Testament, this incredible man of God. He said this in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Not that I've already obtained what? You look at verses 10 and 11. He precedes that by saying that, that I may know him. That I may know the power of his resurrection. That I may know and share in his suffering. That I may become like him in death. Paul says, I haven't obtained that. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Look, Paul's saying, I have not arrived and if you're saying that you've arrived, then, uh, you know, we, I don't know how we can say that when we look at somebody like Paul saying, knowing that he hasn't arrived. He was still pursuing after the purposes of God. He was still per- pursuing after the perfecting of God in his life, that purpose that Jesus had called him. He was still there going after it because he wasn't there yet. Now, I just look at Paul and I don't know about you, but when I see Paul and hear something like this about Paul, the spiritual giant, I, how could I ever think I've arrived? How could I ever think that I'm finished in this? He says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul had not gotten where he needed to go yet, but he wasn't gonna rest on his track record. He wasn't looking back at where he had been. Whether it be good or bad, he wasn't looking back at all those things. Paul had left behind all those things before his conversion. The old man was dead. The new man was come. Why should we keep looking back at the dead man? We're gonna continue to look forward to the new man. God has made me a new man in Christ. But at the time of he wrote this letter, he'd been a Christian for 30 years. But he wasn't looking back at all the spiritual accolades and all the spiritual accomplishments and all the places that he'd been and all the things that he had done over that past 30 years. He didn't say, well, guys, you know what? It's your turn to work. I've done my time. I'm over. It's time for me to retire. Look, there's no place in God that any of us are called to retire. All we have is a holy refire. Paul didn't retire. He, he continued to press in. You know what else he didn't say? Well, and this is one that, well, you know what? I already know it all. Oh, I don't need to go to Bible study. I already know that. I don't need to be that. I already know that. look, Paul was continuing to do the things that God had called him to do, continued throughout his entire life. What? He continued knowing, pursuit of of knowing God, of knowing Jesus. He continued in the pursuit of knowing the power of his resurrection, of knowing him in his suffering, of joining with him in suffering and knowing how to die to this world. Think about it. His worldview was different than often ours is. His worldview saw a lostness out there that would not permit him, would not allow him to stop, would not allow him to not go forward and continue in what God had called him to do, to work for and to come to know God in an increasing way. He saw people around him as more important than himself. He saw what people needed as greater than what he needed. Paul, you know what? We look at Paul and go, Paul, you need a rest. Paul, come on, you have been going, burning the candle at both ends here. You deserve a rest. He'd been beaten. He'd been, he'd been whipped. He, he'd been stoned. He'd been shipwrecked. He had, he had traveled all over the area on it by walking. All of that, who would blame him if he said, you know, I think I'm just going to take it easy and rest. Yeah. But church, his worldview would not allow him to do that. You, he wouldn't. And he said this, he said, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul pressed in, and he pressed in, and again, it's in, in here where the, the illustration is of a, a, a runner running a race in the Greek games. Paul said, I press in, I pressed in. Look, a runner in a race does not win the race by watching people race on YouTube. A runner in a race does not win the race by reading about races. Right. A runner in a race does not win the race by talking to people who were in the race. The only way that a runner can win the race is by getting in the race and running and not quitting and not giving up and not stopping. Yeah. Church, I over the past couple of years have... Uh, I, I, I don't want to say I've taken up. I think it's kind of, I started doing it, running. And I don't like it. I just just don't. But I do it because it's good for me. And I enjoy, you know, the results of feeling like I'm in some sort of shape. And, and again, I feel good when I'm done, but I don't, I don't like it. And, and I, I like to run on Anaconda. Well, going up Anaconda is hard. And I want to stop over and over and over again. There's like three quarters of a mile. Yes, I know exactly how long it is. Three quarters of a mile that it's pretty much just uphill. And every time I run, I want to stop. But I know if I start stopping, I will stop starting. So when I go run, I I never stop. Please, it's only because I know myself well enough to know that if I start stopping, I will not. I will stop starting. In church, this is what happens often in our pursuit of God. Look, if you... If you start stopping, you will start, you will stop starting. Paul pressed in. He ran the race. And church, we should have a worldview like Paul. We guys, worship team, come on back up. You know, Paul's worldview did not look back. Paul wasn't looking back at all the hurts that he had been dealt. He didn't look back at all of the things that are gone. He didn't look back to, you know, all of the things. You know what? He pressed on to the call, the high calling that God had for him. He went to where God knew he needed to be. And I want to ask you this morning, are you actively, actively cultivating a biblical world? View. Because, church, this is so important. Because if we're not actively cultivating a biblical worldview, then we are left contending with some version of a worldview that in many places is not biblical at all. Okay, it may be spiritual. But listen, just because something's spiritual, just because something seems real in the spiritual, doesn't mean if it doesn't if it doesn't align with the word of God, then ta- then don't let it become your life. Don't let it become something you build on. The devil masquerades as an angel of light, and there's a lot of people that are, you know talk about spiritual things, but listen, let it be grounded in the Word of God. Are we actively cultivating a biblical world view? Have you actively begun to put off the views of this world and to put off the worldliness that wants to enter your mind? Do, do you control the things that go into your mind? Look, uh, you know, I mean, when I got saved, well, you know, I, I grew up in the, you know, basically that my high school, I graduated in the 70s. And so I grew up in the 70s and 80s, you know. That's when music was music. Oh, yeah. That was like, and I loved it. When I got saved, I had to put away that stuff. Now, again, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you my experience. I had to put it away. Because as much as I liked those songs, they took me to a place that I didn't want to be. They reminded me of things that I didn't want to be reminded of. They took me back to a place where I was looking at my old life. So I made this decision years ago that I would not have anything to do. I would not listen to secular music any longer. If I listen to music, I listen to Christian music. That's it. Simply, again, it's just simply because I didn't know where else to draw the line. So I just do that because listen, it was more important that I feed myself with something that would be beneficial in transforming my life than something that was part of the old pattern in the old system. I didn't want to be conformed to the ways of the world anymore. So I had to change everything. And you know what? I know that sounds so like radical like how in the world could you do that? You know what? It has not hindered my life one bit. Have you started to put off some of those worldly things that want to infect your mind? Have you considered God's views? Listen, have you considered God's views on what you're doing? Have you considered God's views about how you're living? Have you considered God's views about the way that you are, are talking? The way that you're interacting with people? Have you considered God's views about your neighbor? Have you considered God's views about the things you're thinking about? Look, maybe this morning all of this stuff just sounds like I don't understand what they're making such a big deal about. Why did I just sit here for an hour listening to all this stuff when it's really not that big a deal? And and let me just say this lovingly. Maybe if it's not a big deal to you, maybe it's because you lack the Spirit of God inside of you. You Again, I don't say that mean-spiritedly. I say that because I love you and I care about you. But I mean, if none of this in the Word of God makes any sense and seems like it's right, then maybe it's because the Spirit of God isn't there helping to make it right. Because again, it all boils down to this church. It all boils down to Jesus. It all boils down to knowing Jesus. It all comes down to that Gnosk, Jesus do you know in an increasing measure the love of Jesus the kindness of Jesus the grace of Jesus the care of Jesus the discipline of Jesus do we know him because listen when we know him when we begin to know Jesus we know the truth and he causes us to begin to see the world as he sees the world but when we don't first Corinthians two fourteen says this The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they're folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Look, is that you today? Please, don't try to fool yourself. Just be honest with yourself. I'm I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. Be honest with yourself. Has God opened your eyes? Has God convicted you of the sin in your life and said, stop, cut it out. I don't want to go around this mountain with you again. loves you enough to do that, but look, has God opened your eyes? Because when you do, you'll see it's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would send your spirit to the hearts of those that are in need today. Come to move and to minister Lord and to bring a new heart in those who would call upon your name. Lord if there are those that are here that are still bound in their sin, bound up in their trespasses, overwhelmed with the grief of condemnation, I pray today Holy Spirit that you would go to them, that you would extend the hand of Jesus and that they would reach out and say yes Lord I need you. I need you to fill me. I need you to fill me with your spirit Lord. I want my eyes to be open. I need the way, the truth, and the life. I don't want to be separated from You any longer. I need a Savior. I need a God who would be Lord in my life. I need a God that I can trust. I need a God who overcame death because I am afraid of dying. And I need to know that there's a life that I can plug myself into. And God has that for you. Jesus has that for you. He is the forgiveness of your sins. And today, just call upon His name. Just call out to Him and say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be the Lord, the Savior of my life. Church, this is just between you and Him. This isn't between you and me. This this isn't between you and and this altar. This is between you and Jesus. Is he Lord and Savior of your life? If not, call upon him right now. Say yes, Lord. But I also believe there's those who do know him as Lord and Savior, yet you've gotten tied up and have not pursued after what it would take to create a biblical worldview. And today you would say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I, I see the transformation that God wants to make and I need to submit myself to that today. Lord, you see the hearts of those in this place today. For those who need you as Savior, come, move in their life. And for those who need, Lord God, for you to draw them as your will would call them, I pray that they would submit themselves to that because, Lord, there is nothing else than you. Nothing else but Jesus. Come on, sin is our problem, church. It's every one of our problems. Sin's the problem, but Jesus is the only solution. He's the only remedy to sin. Nothing else will do. I
1: just want you. Come on, tell it. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do, I just want you. Come on. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing, Nothing else will do, I just want you. Nothing else. Come on, just declare it to him. Nothing else nothing else to do I just want you nothing else You, Lord, you are all I need, Jesus. You don't know me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want you,
0: Lord. You are all we need, and I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful body of believers. I thank you, God, for the work that you're doing in each and every one. Come well, on, wherever you are right now is where God wants to begin a new work. It's a new day, so there's a new work. And right here, right where you are, there's no condemnation in that. This is where God wants to start the work that He has for you. So today's a beautiful day. And I hope that you receive the message as good news today. Not a point of condemnation, but a point of good news. Because God can transform any life that's willing and will. Come on, amen? God bless you. Church, I love you. I pray you go be the light. Let God's countenance shine upon you. Go be the church, amen? God bless you. I love you. Have a beautiful day. Hey, for all of those interested in the Guatemala trip, we're meeting up here. We'll be here in the front. So come on up here. We'll probably be
1: in about 10 minutes. So God bless you.